And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, want to urge everybody to go over to Amazon and under Kindle, look up my name, Ken Hudnall, and you'll see a lot of the books I've written. More and more, I'm going to be added to um, the ebook uh, category. Well, yesterday we were talking about uh, some of the little known things about uh, Tucson. For example, Professor Horn's treasure buried on the University of uh, Arizona campus at Tucson. No telling how much those coins would be worth today. You know, on the, the campus, if you go to Centennial Hall, it's home to two ghosts. One's a young Spanish man from the colonial period of Tucson's history and usually dressed entirely in black. And there's a female ghost from a later era who prefers the classic long billowing dresses of the 1890s. And sometimes you can hear the sound of a piano very late at night. And... Uh, what sounds like muffled conversation taking place in uh, many of the large buildings, unused and empty rooms. In fact, some of them have been used since the 20s. And there are reports of two ghostly entities inhabiting Centennial Hall Theater, the original structure there was called the main campus auditorium. That's according to Jonathan Holden with the University of Arizona presents at the University of Arizona. He says there's been a building there where Centennial Hall is now located for over 70 years. Just built a new theater over the school's original main auditorium, and it seems the ghost stories go back even further than that to the time of the Spanish colonial period. It seems on the current side of the Centennial Hall Theater, two dashing, headstrong young men visiting from Spain settled a disagreement over a young girl's uh, affections. One challenged the other one to a duel while they were in Tucson. That's taken uh, things a little far, don't you think? And as was the custom then, the other was allowed to choose the weapon, and much to the surprise of the challenger, he chose Lance's on horseback, much like a medieval joust, except that no one but themselves knew that this challenge was clearly meant to be to the death. Sadly, the young and emotional girl ran out to stop him as they rode full stride on their horses and was trampled to death under the hooves of the young men's steeds. Some of the townspeople's dogs began barking at the sounds of her screams, causing one of the young duelers to get thrown from his horse, slamming right into the hard-packed desert floor. Now, tragically, he landed on the ground right on the side of his head and snapped his neck, killed him instantly. Citizens of the Presidio San Augustine del Tucson were so upset at the turn of events that they... Uh, all but completely ignored the surviving young man. He left Tucson in complete dishonor. Uh, wasn't long after that he was uh, tortured and killed by a band of Apache Indians on his journey back south through Sonora. He was uh, planning to uh, take a Spanish galleon back to Spain at Veracruz. A um, couple of news items just came in I think might be of interest to folks. Alec Baldwin has been charged with uh, involuntary manslaughter in the shooting death of the cinematographer on the movie Rust. Uh, in fact, the Rust Armorer was also charged. Uh, when they hand out a weapon, it ought to be checked to make sure it's not loaded with live ammo. Bowen was so sure he wasn't going to be charged because he was a star, don't you know? Um, you know, today is January 19th. 19th day of the year. 346 days remain until the end of the year. You know, a few things in history that uh, might be worth mentioning before we go back to talking about the ghost of Tucson. Um, 379, Emperor Graton 
or Gratian elevates of Flavius Theodosius at uh, Sirmium to Augustus and gives him authority over the eastern provinces of the Roman Empire. If I'm not mistaken, the eastern provinces are what uh, eventually became the uh, Byzantium. The uh, 1419 and the Hundred Years' War, Roman surrenders to Henry V of England. Hmm, what happened? My uh, system just went cattywampus. Uh, that completed his week reconquest of uh, Normandy. Sixteen oh seven, Saint Augustine Church in Manila is officially completed. It's the oldest church still standing in the Philippines. The seventeen sixty four, John Wilkes was expelled from the British House of Commons for seditious libel. Today, uh, Facebook would call that hate speech. And hate speech is whatever they say it is. Seventeen sixty four, Bolly Wedlam Luxdorf records in his diary that a mail bomb, the world's first, severely injured the Danish colonial uh, Danish Colonel Poulsen, who resided at Burglum Abbey. 1788, the second group of ships of the First Fleet arrived at Botany Bay. They were, the First Fleet is the one that brought the uh, convicts to Australia. Uh, 1794, the Batavian Republic is proclaimed in the Netherlands, replacing the Dutch Republic. 1817, an army of 5,423 soldiers led by General Jose de San Martin crossed the Andes from Argentina to liberate Chile and then went on to liberate Peru. 1839, the British East India Company captures Aden. On this day in 1861, American Civil War, Georgia joined South Carolina, Florida, Mississippi, and Alabama declaring secession from the Union. In 1862, saw the first significant defeat of the Confederacy at uh, the Battle of Mill Springs. The um, 1883, the first electric lighting system that employed overhead wires was built by Thomas Edison, began service at Roselle in uh, New Jersey. 1889, Queen Victoria, Queen of the UK, stricken with paralysis. She died three days later at the age of 81. 1915, George's Claude patents the neon discharge tube for use in advertising. 1915, German Zeppelins bombed the towns of Great Yarmouth and Kings Lynn in the UK, killed at least 20. The first major air bombardment of a civilian target during World War I. 1917 saw the Silvertown explosion. The last at a munitions factory in London killed 73 and injured over 400. The resulting fires caused over 2 million pounds worth of damage. 1920, the U.S. Senate votes against joining the League of Nations, which pretty much shot that in the head. 1920, the American Civil Liberties Union is formed. 1941, World War II. HMS Greyhound and other escorts of convoy AS-12 sink the Italian submarine Michele with all hands, 64 kilometers northeast of Falconera. This day in 1942 saw the beginning of the Japanese conquest of Burma. 1945, the Soviet forces liberated the Lutz ghetto of more than 200,000 inhabitants in 1940. Less than 900 survived the Nazi occupation. They were primarily uh, uh, people of Jewish extraction who lived there. And in 1946, General Douglas MacArthur established International Military Tribunal for the Far East in Tokyo 
to try Japanese war criminals, which never amounted to much. Well, let's see what else we got. 1977, President Gerald, oops, I stumbled forward to pardon the uh, young lady known as Tokyo Rose. Uh, let's see what else. 1981, Iran hostage crisis. U.S. and Iran signed an agreement to release 52 American hostages after 14 months of captivity. 1983, Nazi war criminal Klaus Barbies arrested in Bolivia. Everybody knew pretty much where he was at, but um, nobody really wanted to um, do anything about it. He was known as uh, the Butcher of Lyon. He personally tortured people, or prisoners, primarily Jews, members of the French Resistance. He was the head of the Gestapo in uh, Lyon. And after the war, our intelligence services employed him for his anti-communist efforts and helped him escape to Bolivia, where he advised the dictatorial regime on how to repress opposition through torture. 1983, we eventually offered France a formal apology for aiding Barbie's escape from an outstanding arrest warrant. 1972, surprise, surprise, it was discovered he was in Bolivia. And while there, West German intelligence services recruited him. Now, he had a role that's believed in the Bolivian coup d'etat orchestrated by Luis Garcia Meza in 1980. Of course, after the fall of the dictatorship, uh, he lost the protection of the government in La Paz. In 83, he was arrested and extradited to France, where he was convicted of crimes against uh, humanity and sentenced to life in prison. And he'd already been sentenced in absentia twice, 1947 and 1954. But capital punishment was uh, abolished in France in 1981. He eventually died of cancer in prison in 1991 at the age of 77. His action. His full name was Nicholas Claus Barbie. He died September twenty fifth, nineteen ninety one. The uh, we had a lot to do with a lot of uh, the Nazi war criminals escaping. And Operation Paperclip brought a lot of them here and gave them jobs. And let's see what else we got. 1983, the Apple Lisa, first commercial personal computer from Apple, has a, they have a graphical user interface and the computer mouse is announced. Uh, 1986, the first IBM PC computer virus is released out into the wild. A boot sector virus dubbed uh, Brain, created by the Farouk Albi brothers in Lahore, Pakistan. Reportedly, it was created to deter unauthorized copying of the software they'd written, but it pretty much took on a life of its own. 1990, exodus of Kashmiri bandits uh, from the uh, Kashmir Valley, Indian-administered Kashmir due to an insurgency. And that was not bandits, that was pandits. Um, 1991, Iraq fires a second Scud missile into Israel, causing 15 injuries. Uh, 1995, after being struck by lightning, the crew of Bristol Helicopters Flight 56C are forced to ditch the helicopter. All 18 on board are later rescued. Um, 1996, the barge North Cape oil spill occurs. As a Engine fire forces a tugboat Scandia ashore on Moonstone Beach in South Kingston, Rhode Island. 1997, Yasser Arafat returns to Hebron after more than 30 years and joins celebrations over the handle of the last Israeli-controlled West Bank city. Uh, 1999, British Aerospace agrees to acquire the defense subsidiary of the General Electric Company, forming BAE Systems. This was November 1999.
2007 Turkish Armenian journalist Harun Dink is assassinated in front of his newspaper's Istanbul office by a 17-year-old Turkish ultra-nationalist, Ogun Samast. And let's see. 2012, the Hong Kong-based file-sharing website Mega Upload is shut down by the FBI. They can't do much, or they don't do much. But occasionally they'll pick out things that will get them a lot of newspaper publicity and, and take some steps. And in 2014, a bomb attack on an army convoy in the city of Banu kills at least 26 Pakistani soldiers and injures 38 others. You know, the uh, a lot of these so-called uh, nationalists uh, <coughs> do what they do simply for the newspaper coverage they can get. Yeah, let's see, is there anything else? I'm not even going to discuss the chaos and confusion going on in Washington right now. Other than to say what's good for the goose is good for the ender. All right. We were talking about ghost in Tucson, Arizona. And uh, you know, one of the ghostly entities reported at uh, Centennial Hall on various occasions as a woman dressed in her 1890s Victorian era dark floor-length clothing. She pushes their customers on the stairways and, and uh, as well as in open areas, as if trying to quickly pass by him. She's always seen wearing a late 1800s blouse with a very high collar that was in the style in that era. A cameo pendant that was the style of the time is also present. And her hair is pinned up as was the fashion for women during those days. It's often reported she's always seen exclusively at a classical performance at the theater. Actors have also reported uh, hearing noises directly above them while they're on the stage. Then we've got a uh, Spanish male spirit entity dressed entirely in black. And he appears to be in his 20s. He's often reported lurking and moving around backstage. And he's been frequently seen up above walking along the catwalks overhead. He's also been heard uh, making ho uh, horse-like uh, Winnie noises. You know, making a reference to the uh, joust that took place. The, uh, you know, it was quite the thing in those days for the uh, young men to want to show their virility by taking part in duels. Uh, Epis, swords, pistols, but joust? And then, of course, the young lady had to get involved and get run over by the horses. And uh, then one young man falls off his horse. I mean, it, it was an exercise in, frankly, stupidity. Uh, they got two of the three killed, and then the third one was uh, captured and killed by Indians. So there's very good reason for at least two of them to be haunting that area. According to uh, one of the professors, there's a very old adage that says, in every good theater that had a live performance is almost always sightings and experiences with ghosts. That's why the light that's left on on the stage is called a ghost light. And that just seems to be true when, just a few months before at that particular theater. An employee at the university had the most recent of many various reported ghostly encounters in that building, both during the daytime as well as at nighttime. Herb Stratford, a student employee of the theater, related that an employee who was a movie projectionist noticed uh, some balled-up pieces of used masking tape that suddenly started to move on top of one of the work counters right near him. 
And all of a sudden it started to crinkle with an eerie sound like somebody was grabbing it. And not knowing what else to do, he made, he said out loud, if you're going to play with it, then play with it. And he saw that ball of tape roll across the table and back. I think at that point in time, I would have found something else to do someplace else. And that's not all. Something's been manipulating equipment in the 77-year-old theater. According to Stratford, it would come in the next day and the lens would be all the way screwed out. Something that requires a tool to accomplish. There's just no other possible way it could come out. But there were no marks on the lens whatsoever showing a tool had been used. University of Arizona investigators also examined the lenses, but were never find any marks on it anywhere, nor could even be found a single fingerprint or even a partial fingerprint. After being unofficially but thoroughly examined in the crime lab in Phoenix by a technician, the lens mysteriously didn't reveal any shred of human DNA either. And that uh, that's very hard to do if you touch something. And sounds of a piano can be heard late at night, and as I talked earlier, there was muffled conversation to take place in the empty rooms. And um, the sealed-off balcony area is where the uh, a woman in a long white dress is quite often seen. She's also seen in the green room. And she's been known to displace some temper. She's been known to push employees. Uh, the female gets to blame for all the nasty bits of ghosting, of course, while the male ghost is generally looked at as a more benign presence. Supposedly, the female ghost is prone to pushing people down the stairs, and the man who some think was a patron who died of a heart attack also wanders the halls as well. The man seems to be the, the, man seems to be the counterbalance and helps everybody who's been injured by the woman. Then, of course, there's the, uh, the balcony area is also uh, reputed to be the location where a young man wearing a black suit has been seen quite often and he's been seen ducking through the stage entrance now another building is known as Maricopa Resident Hall I guess it's what you call a dorm in less uh, affluent places now there are a lot of tales of ghosts and unexplainable phenomena circulating university or the campus that's cluttered with old brick buildings and plumbed with state of the ancient toilets and faucets. That might not be surprising. And within the uh, University of Arizona community, encounters with the supernatural have become as unpredictable as running into a creepy pervert. One of the University of uh, Arizona's uh, most infamous stories is about the ghost of Maricopa Resident Hall. Urban legend has it that a resident killed herself there. And the circumstances surrounding her death uh, change depending on who's talking about it. Susan Metzger, an art history senior and former Maricopa resident, said the story she heard was based on the premise of the hall being University of Arizona President's Mansion. She said the version she heard was that his daughter was engaged to be married and she found a fiancé with another woman, so she hung herself. Supposedly, she hung herself on the third floor, and Metzger said she'd heard it was uh, on the second floor and heard it was uh, in the basement. So depending on which version of the story you hear, you got a different location involved. Now, the hall was first proposed by University of Arizona President Arthur wild in 1914 and built between 1918 and 1921. But truth be known, it was never the president's mansion. Uh, Metzger also uh, made the comment she'd never seen the ghost while she lived there. A friend of hers said she would saw her, but uh, that may or may not be true as uh, one of the enjoyable parts of going to college apparently is... Uh, indulging in um, liquid refreshments sometimes to the point you see things that aren't there.
Now, she did say the basement was really, really scary. It's got a bunch of locked doors. Nothing leads to anything. It's just storage area. Associate Director of Residence Life, Patrick Call, occupied the hall in past summers and said there are people who swear they've uh, seen the ghost. Uh, he said he never saw it. He'd like to, but he never did. And then there's the first building built on the campus called the Old Main. And every old building has a good ghost story to go with it. And University of Arizona's historic old main building is no exception. Since 1891, it served as the front porch of the university and holds special significance for generations of Wildcat alumni and campus community members. But as the iconic old main underwent the, the most comprehensive uh, renovation in its history, some construction crew members uh, start started reporting ghostly goings-on. Uh, Fred Briscoe, senior project manager with um, Sunt Construction, said, I can't say I've seen anything, but I've heard some weird stuff as far as creaking and cracking. We joke quite a bit that we're making Carlos mad. Now, the Carlos he's referring to is Carlos Maldonado, who said they had been murdered while supervising the construction of the building in the 1800s. And the legend of Carlos is quite detailed um, on an online website. The website's not affiliated with the university, so there's no uh, influence on what's put on it. story goes that Carlos often spent the night at Old Main while it was being built, chatting with members of the local Indian tribes who stopped by to check out the project, keep watch over the building. Now, Keep in mind, a number of the locals were not exactly happy to see the building being built. One morning, Carlos' construction crew members arrived to find their beloved boss sitting in a wooden chair with a large knife stuck in his throat. Murder was never solved, and it's said it is spared to haunts the building, where a number of students, staff, and faculty have reported seeing him over the years. Now, word of Carlos uh, traveled fast among the workers who... Uh, are currently renovating Old Main. Um, and at the time I did the research who were renovating it, they were going to complete it, they thought, in the summer of 2014. Some construction foreman uh, Tomas Alvarez uh, certainly believed the legend. In fact, he enthusiastically claims to have seen Carlos twice in the form of a shadowy figure at an attic of Old Main. He says he doesn't stand still long enough to take a picture. He kind of hides. He said, I'm not afraid of him because I'm not afraid of stuff like that. But if you sit in the attic long enough, he generally appears. Carpenter by the name of Frank Contreras also is spooked by the ghost story. After hearing Alvarez, uh, Avales, uh and other colleagues talking about Carlos, he went online to do some investigating of his own and found the story on the website. Not long after that, he arrived at Old Main early one morning, first one on site. When he entered an upstairs hallway, several faucets suddenly turned on at once, which, uh, of course, as you might guess, sent him in the other direction. Carl's security cap. When I came to work in the morning, it was dark, and I actually got goosebumps. But he's no longer worried. Uh, now that he sees this place is getting a facelift, I think he's he's gone. Old Main's custodian, Nanny Martinez, has heard more than just rumors during the late-night shift uh, cleaning the University of Arizona's oldest building. He's also seen clocks fall off the wall and heard water fountains uh, recharge after he was the only person in the creaky building. One thing in particular has given him the chills every night for, the, for about a month and a half. He said about 10 p.m. one night he was standing next to a wall on the second floor when he heard a knock. He said he stood still for a minute and looked at the glass door leading outside, knowing all the doors behind him were locked. Didn't see anybody at the door. Then he heard a second knock. I knew nobody was at the door, and I knew nobody was here but me. And, of course, there's nobody back there. I mean, it's just storage. Martinez uh, pointed behind the wall located in the heart of the building. said he stood still in the hallway again, looking at the wall, 
Then he heard a third knock. And at that point, he, he decided that he really wasn't hearing things. He yelled at the unknown knocker to come in, and the knocking stopped. But since that night, whenever he's passed that area, he said he does get a tad freaked out. Then we have Baroni Theater, University of Arizona. Uh, I've been there a number of years uh, for the uh, book festival. And you get... Uh, I'm told about 300,000 people come through on that weekend. And there are um, tours and there are rumors that you hear about various happenings on campus. If you get the opportunity to go, I highly recommend it. Unfortunately, health has kept me from going the last couple of years, but we've, we've still got it on our schedule. Now, Maroonie Theater, as I said, is also on the University of Campus. And some ghosts give a more theatrical performance when they decide to spook members of the University of Arizona community. And some of these performances are given at the Maroney Theater. Built in 1956, it's a 332-seat Proceum Auditorium. It was refurbished in 1993 with new seats, carpeting, stage drapes, lighting systems, and a sound system. And there are many stories about there being ghosts throughout the Maroney Theater. Um, theater Arts Associate Professor Jeff Warburton uh, said there he's had a few encounters with uh, some of these um, entities and the students have had encounters with, with them as well. Uh, the number of students have uh, seen uh, Gene the Ghost during theatrical performances. Uh, Gene Lafferty was Warburton's uh, predecessor when Warburton replaced his technical director. Warburton said he'd heard steps in the theater when he was there by himself, and he experienced a cold gust of air brush over him. One time he lost his keys and was alone in the auditorium when he heard his keys fall from an audience seat. From jinx performances like The Crucible to bad omens and phrases like Break a Leg, the stage has always been a, an area of great superstition. Um, Warburton explaining why this might be. He said, I think artists are more sensitive than most folks didn't believe ghosts hurt anyone. They're not harmful. You usually hurt yourself running like hell to get away from them. And other scary campus stories have a somewhat lighter tone to them. Students in the stadium residence halls have designated room 480 to uh, harry the ghost, according to uh, Michelle Rupert, uh, nutritional sciences junior. Room 480 is a unfinished faculty. A facility not large enough to be a dorm room and too small to be anything else. Rupert made the comment it was kind of a joke. There was supposedly an identified ghost running around the building. and She said since the, uh, the uh, stadium residents have built uh, halls have empty elevator shafts, not explainable drafts and noises, which add to the overall feeling of eeriness. Now she herself had not seen anything supernatural though there have been many stories of others who did. And then, of course, we have the English building. Uh, you know, in many cases, hauntings are caused not by something that happened in the current location, but by something that happened years ago before the current building that occupied the space was even thought about. And this is the case with the haunting of the English building at the University of Arizona. Where the English building stands now used to be a running track. The body of a woman was, that had been raped and murdered was found dumped into a well that was at the edge of the track. And now night custodians have seen the apparition of this woman. Figures often seen through the windows of the locked building late at night, running with a panicked look on her face. Maybe she's still trying to escape her attackers. You know, there's been quite a number of um, hauntings that have been... I guess the word is um, started by unsolved murders. There are, uh, you know, from our viewpoint, the murder is the end of, of uh, everything. But on the other side of the veil, so to speak, things may continue to repeat themselves, such as a situation like this. Then we've got the modern language building. Skeleton and ghost of an early 
1900s-era beautiful woman with her very long, dark hairs that are sometimes pinned up and other times can be seen flowing all the way down her back, still haunts the University of Arizona's Modern Language Building. It was built over the top of the site of the original women's athletic field university. That's according to persistent continuing uh, sightings over the many years. This ghost, another ghost known as the woman in white, haunts the modern language building. It's speculated this uh, appearance is the ghost of a young woman who was murdered on this site. She appears as a dark-haired young woman who wears a 1920s-era shawl and long skirt. Been seen peeking through the small windows in the Romance Languages Lab. When the modern language building was built in 1965, workers were said to have discovered human remains. Construction workers didn't report the human remains for fear the investigation would delay the project. And that is an interesting point. When human remains are found, work has to stop until police investigation runs its course. According to the numerous reports over the decades, this mysterious female spirit taking her ghostly form is often seen still wearing a long flowing shawl, the type not seen since early 1910s, along with a dark-colored floor-length dress with a high collar. These were commonly worn by women between 1899 and 1904. The ghost of the young lady still reported being seen peering through and out the windows of the language lab and late at night. Students have noticed her and have tried to speak to her, but I said any time uh, she's addressed, she turns suddenly then quickly runs away, only to seemingly vanish into the darkness of the night right while she's still running. Interviews with those who've seen the apparition all report it uh, as if she was just swallowed up by the darkness of the night itself. According to various newspaper reports of the early 1900s, one night the mysterious woman was assaulted, murdered, and thrown down into one of the university's deep hand-dug open water wells left over from the areas used by the Spanish in the 1700s. Her body was found floating in the water uh, well, located on the university's original athletic field early one morning by Hiram Winstead, the head groundskeeper for the college. Many reports that have surfaced over the years seem to unquestionably confirm the mysterious ghost of the lady returned to the campus to search for and collect her now scattered bones the hope of giving her spirit some final peace after the unspeakable and horrendous crime against her on that ill-fated night. The current uh, language building's location was constructed right directly over the top of the site in 1965. Construction workers on the worksite are said to have found a full set of human bones there as they excavated and prepared the foundation footings, but didn't report it because if the work project stopped, they'd be out of work. The ghostly apparition continues to attempt the recovery of her bones so she can move on to the next dimension that she so desperately seeks ever since, but so far the goal has been elusive. It said if any living person can ever help the ghost find her well-deserved place, uh, she revealed the location of something very valuable that's buried somewhere within the 1910 boundaries of what was university. Um, according to available records and statements made later, it's somewhat um, murky exactly what the workers actually did with the, uh, the bones, but it's sure that some of them did split the bones up between themselves as souvenirs took them home and hid them and kept them as uh, souvenirs of the project. The workers on the project, 24 of them over time, died very mysterious deaths. And not one of them lived past the age of 50. Are we talking about a curse, perhaps? There's a persistent, substantial rumor that a fraternity house member at the University of Arizona during the mid-60s had stolen and gained possession of at least some of the bones and they were buried secretly at the stroke of midnight in 1967 on the fraternity's grounds after a series of many persistent very mysterious happenings continued over and over at the fraternity. Subsequently, by 1974, the fraternity had its charter revoked of losing its building in the process. The original building was itself leveled for a commercial structure and asphalt parking lot, which is now located directly over the top of where the fraternity house had originally stood. Now, further information over the years has confirmed that a small group of University of Arizona alumni from the 60s to early 70s 
still meet precisely at midnight once each year over the spot where some of the murdered girl's bones are now buried. It's a still well-guarded secret ceremony uh, using a uh, a well-memorized chant from the former college students continually asking for forgiveness for the actions of the fraternity brother who originally stole the skeleton's bones, which seemingly brought all this bad fortune to him. Uh, and some say it resulted in a curse on all the fraternity's members, their offspring and all others who were either involved or did nothing to make things right for those uh, on those fearful moments of time in the 1960s. There have been numerous complaints from both past and current property owners where the fraternity house once stood concerning attempts by a person or persons unknown to dig through uh, the same area of cement, asphalt, landscaping on the property. Um, you'd have to dig through it in order to get to the bones buried underneath. The various owners and their managers have also noted that a very high unexplained employee turnover and out of unusual employee injuries at the many businesses that have occupied the property since the demolition of the fraternity structure over the many years ago. Surprisingly, many of the employees' injuries are exactly the same or similar to the ones experienced and reported by the members of the fraternity or once located on the property, included fractured or broken bones, sudden disorientation and falls to the ground causing injuries, nightmares of drowning in water and waking up completely drenched in sweat and the loss of fingers and toes, including the bones. Of the fraternity's members between 1965 and 67, many have died under unusual circumstances, according to the records. Beginning in the spring of 1966, two members died in vehicle-related accidents after being hit by automobiles. Another fraternity member was murdered and cut up into pieces and put down the garbage disposal, and the rest was completely... Uh, eaten by his insanely jealous and apparently well-over-the-edge insane wife in New York City. That was before she was arrested when neighbors reported seeing large bloodstains on her clothes. Her death, however, was suddenly of supposedly natural causes while in jail before her trial could be scheduled. And that was yet another continuing uh, odd and bizarre twist to an already horrific event that seemingly consumed the woman also. Another fraternity member who died horrifically when he was working as a foreman of the electric company back at his hometown. Somehow got his coat's left sleeve caught in one of the fast-moving conveyor belts that automated continually load up coal into the power company's furnaces that provided electricity to the community. Unable to turn the automated equipment off without the foreman's key, the other employees watched in horror as he was quickly carried, screaming and pleading for somebody to do something uh, to help him as he was carried for just over 200 feet along uh, on the conveyor that rose up and operated almost 45 feet off the ground. Still alive, he was in flung like a beat-up rag doll at almost 50 miles an hour into the blast furnace that ran the generators, producing the electricity that powered his entire hometown. By the nature of the occurrence, not a single piece or part of any of his remains could ever be recovered from the 2,000-plus-degree hot bowels of the blast furnace. In time, five of the fraternity members each met what could only be termed a untimely death by officials during the course of uh, various types of what seemingly appeared to be robberies or muggings they had encountered in their lives. However, some maintain it was the direct result of the lady's ghost that had been searching their pockets for her bones, since on three of the bodies there appeared to be long, deep scratches uh, that are pressed deep into their skin. Now the others died of what was termed natural causes according to autopsy records before they ever reached the age of 35. So that brings the question, the light brings to light the question, are these coincidences? Or is there a plan being carried out by this uh, young lady to recover her bones. Well, turning from that macabre story, we have the Bear Down Gym. University of Arizona's Wildcats uh, battle cry of Bear Down and Fight a Fight Song comes from the the Thursday, October 18, 1926, final dying words of a 22-year-old wildly popular charismatic student leader and 
multi-talented athlete who often trained in what was then the newly built men's gymnasium on the, as the Bear Down Gym was originally named. 1925, John Button Bird Salmon was the president of the student body of the varsity football team, starting quarterback and team captain, and a three-year star catcher for the baseball team with obvious major league potential. He was nicknamed Button by his family for his small frame. He was only 5'8 and weighed about 145 pounds. And his unbelievably impish good looks. He was extremely popular with his teammates, coach, fellow students, the peoples of Tucson, all the school girls, and many of the young girls around town. Well, 1925, the year just before his untimely death, John Button Bird Salmon completely amazed the stadium crowd of over 30,000 University of Southern California Trojan fans, as well as the University of Arizona supporters up in the stands of the game against USC in 1925. Los Angeles, um, with his most almost superhuman powerful punts, literally flying over the top of the opponents and totally fearless defensive plays. This is one very talented athlete, athlete without fear, who was as hard as a rock kid with his wildly curly uh, reddish hair and freckles that inspired his teammates to bestow the nickname on him of the Leaping Tuna. John Button Salmon was, almost, uh, was also an exceptionally talented uh, baseball catcher with Clear major league talents. Even his uh, teammates recognized that. Spring of 25, his clutch um, two-base hit drove in the winning run against USC in a very heated baseball game. When John Salmon was elected student body president just four days later, he referred to the hit as my 200-volt double. John's father, Frank Salmon, was born in 1875 and raised in uh, Texas. Frank was a Educated, smart, tough, no-nonsense, but always very supportive family man who worked hard in management for the Phelps Dodge uh, Copper Corporation in Bisbee. And that was during the the uh, Depression of 1917. His mother, Catherine Simpson, Salmon was a gentle yet uh, tough lady and a very loving mother, born in New Orleans, Louisiana in 1878. Eventually, both of the parents had themselves buried in uh, Tucson, near the son they loved so much. The son, uh, John Button uh, Salmon, was born in Cristobal, Texas, October 22, 1903, and grew up with his parents in the tough early 1900s copper mining town of Bisbee. Uh, he had an older brother, uh, Riney Salmon, who was also very athletic and mentored and supported his younger brother in both baseball and football, at Bisbee's uh, Warren Park, where the the young Salmon regularly played baseball with the likes of numerous members of the Chicago White Sox and many other pro ball players at a time who spent time there in the offseason. Um, in fact, Riney uh, Salmon later became the president of the Arizona-Texas Baseball League from 1948 to 1950. Well, the very day of the 1926 season's big opening football game, John Salmon was driving at a very high rate of speed, coming back from the Phoenix in his Ford Model T with a football fraternity buddy and a young girl when he missed a curve and hit the dirt berm along the side of the road near Picacho Peak. Car overturned numerous times and crashed down on, into a deep ravine, pinning him underneath the wreckage for hours till any help arrived. The uh, other two passengers were both ejected from the car, sustained only a few deeper isolations, cuts and bruises, but they weren't seriously injured. But John Simon wasn't so lucky and suffered a, a severed spinal cord injury, relieving him paralyzed from the neck down. Dr. Victor Melser, a uh, extremely talented Tucson surgeon, performed the eight-hour surgery on the young man at the Southern Methodist Hospital in Tucson, but the uh, spinal cord was just too uh, severe to be repaired. He died 14 days later. On uh, that date, he gave a final message to his coach and ultimately to his football and baseball teammates. His coach was uh, Pop B. Kale, who had been visiting uh, Salmon every single day for the 13 days. 
While talking to a young man, when a young man uh, whispered, Pop, come closer. Tell them, tell the team to bear down. There was an attendance noted that uh, he gave one last breath and died peacefully at 10.32 a.m. On the day of his funeral, all classes at the university and all, in fact, over Tucson were canceled for the day. Employers and employees citywide left their jobs to attend his uh, funeral service, which was held at the University of Arizona's campus at the stadium. A three-mile-long line of Ford Model T's, Model A's, citizens on horseback and driving horse-drawn wagons, every taxi in town that was running, and various other cars of the era slowly made their way from the university through downtown Tucson and up to the Evergreen Cemetery. Late that night after the coach returned from the hospital, he was working at his office in the, the Bear Down Gym around 10 p.m. It was revealed only later that the ghost of John Salmon wearing his football jersey appeared to him at the doorway of the office and began walking uh, toward the exhausted coach. The apparition uttered only two words, bear down. Other employees, janitors, and students in the gym both during the day and especially late at night are reported over the years since 1926 that uh, they're encountering the apparition of this short young man in a well-used 1920s football jersey. Well, constructed in 1926 to replace Herring Hall and named after Colonel Herring, which was the university's original gymnasium, uh, Bear Down Gym is a two-story brick stadium noted for its curved roof, semicircular terracotta entrance, and deeply recessed entry with copper-clad window frames. You know, originally the, the main level provided basketball courts and room for gymnastics. The lower level contained locker rooms, offices, and space for the Department of Military Science and Tactics. At one time, the building seated about 6,000 spectators used for sports, school dances, and annual student registration activities. Quickly after December 7, 1941, with the outbreak of World War II, Bear Down Gym and a number of other facilities at the University of Arizona were taken over by the War Department as a barracks for 500 young students at a time as they went through their expedited naval bombardment school just prior to being shipped off to war. Many of the green sailors and the officers who lived and trained there uh, 24-7 gave their lives in the war effort and never returned. And it said their ghost still frequent Bear Down Gym, looking to start where they left off back when they were young. You know, the interesting thing is people who have no idea who uh, John Salmon was report seeing him. So he's still a very active ghost. And on that note, we come to the end of today's show. Don't have enough time to start another segment. So until tomorrow at this time, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening.